Well, as we start today, let me tell you about Father's Day 2019. Um, Father's Day 2019, we had church on that Sunday. We did all of the normal uh, Father's Day stuff that we do, that we that we typically do. We we met, we were meeting at Desert Hills Elementary at the time, which was great. We had a bacon bar. We gave away some steaks. We had an anti-photo booth because dads don't like to take pictures. Like we did all of our normal stuff. It was a great, great, great Sunday. Afterwards, we were taking down equipment and everything, and um, and and uh, a man walks in through the front of the building frantically saying, where's the pastor? Where's the pastor? Now, our team is actually trained, you should know this, our team is actually trained that if someone frantically walks into the church saying, where's the pastor? Their responsibility is to try to keep them away because you never know what some what, what to try to interrupt them and say, well, we, can't, we don't know where he is right now. What, what can we do to help you? Because you never know what someone wants when they frantically walk into a building saying, where's the pastor? Okay, so 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 we got that going on. So, 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 so they do that. And, and, they, and, and they're trying to help the man and he's just ignoring them. And he pushes right past the people in the front of the building and in, in, the, in, the, in the lobby and, and all that kind of stuff. And he eventually gets to the gym cafeteria where, where my wife and I and a couple other people were, were taking down equipment. And, 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 and I hear the man yell, walk in the room yelling, where's the pastor? Where's the pastor? Where's the pastor? And my nine, at the time, nine month pregnant wife Stops him and says, "Sir, where, what, what, I'm not sure entirely where the pastor is right now. What can what can I do to help you?" And he says, and he, and he just unloads on my nine month pregnant wife at the time. I mean, he just goes, "My mom is dying at the hospital, and I need someone to come pray with me for my dying mom. Where is the pastor?" It was a really really fun experience. At that point. I said from behind the drum, from behind the drum, the drums that I was taking down. I said, "Sir, I'm 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 the pastor. Let me let me make sure we have everything kind of taken care of here, and give you just a moment, and I'll be with you, and we can we can head out, we can head back head back to the hospital." So it turns out he had walked to the school from Mountain View Hospital all the way down to Desert Hills um, because on the way to the hospital, it turns out he had seen our A-frame church signs at the road and figured that he would come give it a shot that we were still there. As we got into my car to drive there, he was still frantic, very animated, cussing under his breath, and so I asked, "Sir, are, like, are you okay? Like, I, and obviously your mom is passing. Are, like, are you okay?" And he said, well, no, I didn't just leave to come find a pastor. I had to leave because after all these years, my brothers and I still can't stand each other and can't stand to be in the same room. And let me just tell you, at that point, I thought, oh my goodness, what kind of family bad blood situation am I getting myself? What, what kind of bad situation am I walking into? When we got there, we took the elevator up to the room, we walked in, and he yelled to the room with his dying mother on the bed and a couple people, like, you know, a couple other family members and his brothers. He yelled, I found a pastor to come pray with mom. And then the brothers all started arguing about who would leave since they couldn't be in the same room together. Fun, fun stuff. So I read some scripture. I, I prayed with the woman that was on the hospital bed, prayed with, with and for the family, read some more scripture, sat there for a little while talking with the family. And after a short time, one of the ladies in the room looked up and she said, Pastor, you don't know us and we don't know you, but will you pray for something beyond comfort for our family? And she said, see, see, these boys all hate each other. And couldn't you pray that they would get along so this woman doesn't have to die with her son's fighting like cats and dogs. Okay, so, so I agreed to pray for that. And I, and I prayed, and you want to know what happened? 
You want to know what happened? Everyone started admitting that they were at fault for all of the relationship drama, and then they forgave each other, and they hugged each other, and then these men just started weeping uncontrollably, brothers hugging. They started planning future family trips together, and and while they were crying, a single tear fell on their mom, and she sat up out of the bed and said, I'm healed. And it was like, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was a Father's Day miracle. Amen. Anyone believe that that's what happened? No, no, that's not what really happened. You want to know what really happened? Nothing. Nothing really happened because as Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock have reminded us, it takes two to make a thing go right, and it takes two to make it out of sight. Like, like, just kidding, kidding there. But you, here, here's, here's the thing. Nothing, nothing, nothing happened because the people at the center of the conflict didn't actually want to resolve the conflict. And the reason I tell you that story is because as we've been in this series, How to Hug a Vampire, and we've been talking about how to deal with difficult relationships and learning together how to handle relationships that have become difficult, here's the reason I tell you that story. If we don't learn how to repair damaged and broken relationships, that story will become our story. If you don't learn how to repair damaged and broken relationships in your life, that story will become your story. If we don't learn how to repair and restore broken relationships, we end up in a place just like that, in the middle of an emergency, in the middle of a crisis, with a stranger who doesn't know us praying for a miracle that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we could actually begin to put some of that hurt behind us and we could all actually move forward together and a relationship could be restored that has been broken for years and years and years and years. If we don't learn how to handle damaged and broken relationships and learn how to repair damaged and broken relationships, that story inevitably becomes our story. See, for the last few weeks, for the last few weeks, we have been in this series, How to Hug a Vampire, because we all deal with difficult relationships at times. And sometimes they're difficult, we said, because we are different, very different people. And sometimes they're difficult because the people involved have made them difficult because of our actions, because of our choices, because of our words. But we began this series by saying that we have an actual incredible calling and an incredible command that God has given to every single one of us in the face of, our, of even our most difficult relationships. Here's what Paul wrote to us in Romans chapter 12. And this has been the baseline for this entire series. He said, if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That peace is actually possible in every relationship. That whether it's peace about the relationship or whether it's peace in the relationship, that peace is possible in every relationship. And we're actually called and commanded by God to seek peace and to live at peace in every single relationship. And so we began this series by saying that we sometimes have made the relationship difficult. And when we have made the relationship difficult, we need to be willing to at least look in the mirror and take responsibility for our slice of the problem and play our part in bringing peace. And then last week we said that sometimes they have made the relationship difficult. And when they make the relationship difficult, when they've brought hurt, when they've brought difficulty, when they've brought conflict, that when they have made the relationship difficult, we choose forgiveness. And forgiveness brings us peace and sets us free from the events and the hurt that caused the relationship to become difficult in the first place. So in the context of where we've been, here's what we need to understand as, as we close it out. The first week, we said that looking in a mirror reminds me to play my part in bringing peace. Last week, we said that forgiveness sets me free from the hurt of the past. 
But today, as, as, we, as we move towards the, the, the end of this series, and I think maybe the most important content that we're, that we're going to talk about in this series, looking in a mirror can help you avoid bad blood, and forgiveness can cure bad blood, but unfortunately, neither one repairs the relationship. Neither one of those things actually repairs the relationship. They can be a starting point. They can move you in the direction of repair, but neither one of those actually brings about a repair to the relationship that you want repaired. See, what, I, what, what you know and what I know is that unless the difficult relationship is with a very random person that you rarely see, that you aren't related to, that isn't influential in your life at all, you don't just want peace about a relationship. You actually want peace in the relationship. You want the relationship back. You want a healthy relationship with the person where the relationship has currently become straight. You want a relationship. Like we, like we want a relationship. We want the damage to be undone. We want the damage to be repaired. We want the broken parts to be repaired so that we can actually have a right relationship again. You could say this, taking responsibility and looking in the mirror is healthy, but taking responsibility isn't the goal for the relationship. Forgiveness, it sets us free from the hurt and the past, but forgiveness isn't the goal. And if you're hearing that and you're thinking, well, then what did we spend two weeks talking about? If that's not the goal, what's the goal? Here's the goal. Those things are starting points to move us towards the goal. The goal is this. The goal for a damaged relationship is a restored relationship. That for the relationships that you care about, the people that you care about, where things have gotten turned sideways, things have been strained, things have been difficult, things have been almost impossible to actually be around each other, things have been awkward, things have been tough, you, don't, you, you actively try to avoid a relationship and situations where they're going to be around. For those relationships where you care about them and you care about the state of the relationship, but things have, be, have been damaged, things have been broken, the goal for a damaged relationship is a restored relationship relationship. The goal, what you want for damaged relationships, what I want for my broken relationships, what we all want when something goes kind of wonky is for the relationship to be restored, to actually make the relationship right once again. Because like you know and I know, things won't really be right until you make it right. Now, I, now I, don't, I don't know how many of you are, are kind of like me in this. I would imagine there's not a whole lot of us that are like this, but, but, I, but I really enjoy woodworking. I like woodworking. Most of what I do is actually building things from scratch. I, I like to build tables, dressers, built a crib for our daughters. I built bed, all the beds for our family. Um, but what really intrigues me is furniture restoration. When people take an old beat up piece of furniture that has value because it's old wood and it was well built in the first place, but it's been banged up, maybe it's been dinged, maybe it went through a couple moves and there's some scratches and there's some things on it that, that it's no longer the good quality piece that it's been. Maybe it was painted over a couple times, maybe it has a couple different layers of paint on it. Um, and, and over the course of days, uh, and, and, and someone finds a piece like that, and over the course of days or weeks or maybe even months, someone restores the piece. 
And what they do is they strip off, they paint, they clean up the gunk, they sand off the rough edges, they fill in the cracks and broken places, and they sand some more, and then they probably sand some more, and then they probably sand some more, and they keep sanding and sanding and sanding. And then, and then, and then they usually will stain it anew or maybe paint it with milky chalk paint. And, and at the end, they put a new protective coat on to protect the restored piece. And at the end, the piece is not the same as it once was, but it is now once again beautiful and it's strong and it's durable. See, that is actually what all of us want for our damaged and our broken and our dinged up and our cracked relationships, isn't it? That's, that's, the, that's the end game that we all want. We all want to say, like, hey, the relationship, it's probably not going to be the same as it once was, but it's healthy, it's beautiful, it's strong, it's resilient, it's made it through, and it is now better maybe, stronger maybe, than it ever was before. That's the end game that we all want. The problem that we have is that we all want the ending without the messy, middle, hard work part. We all want, we all want the end game. We all want the stronger, better, more resilient, more God-honoring relationship. We all want that. We oftentimes, all of us, we, we want to avoid the restoration work, the messy middle part. And see, the reason most, that most people don't do a lot of furniture restoration are the same reasons that most people don't, don't work to restore damaged relationships. See, here's the four rules of resta- restoration. Whether you're rest- restoring a bookshelf or whether you're restoring a relationship, here are the four rules of restoration. Number one, you have to get close and get messy. You have to get close and get messy. See, you can't do long-distance furniture restoration, and you can't really restore a relationship from afar either. You just can't. For things to be made new and things to be made healthy, you have to get close. You have to move in their direction. You have to get close to the person who has maybe hurt you, who maybe you have hurt, where the damage has been done in the relationship. You have to get close. Where you have moved apart, you have to once again get close. And we all avoid getting close because we know that getting close means we're going to get some of that mess on us again. See, in a relationship, every like like let's in a relationship, every time we've gotten close to them, we've been hurt. They've been hurt. Things have gotten damaged. Things have gotten you know bad. And so so we avoid getting close because we think if we get close, we might just get messy again. Things might just get messy again. But we have to understand. We can't actually repair the relationship while we're avoiding getting close. We can't, avoid the, we can't avoid the relationship and repair the relationship at the same time. One of my favorite pastors, Andy Stanley, he said this a while ago. You can forgive them from a distance. You can forgive from a distance, but you can't reconcile from there. To reconcile, you have to get close. To restore a relationship, to restore a piece of wood, you have to get close and you have to be willing to get messy. The second rule of restoration is this. It will take longer than you think. It'll take longer than you think. If you've, ev- if you've ever repaired anything around your house, or especially if you've any, ever done any furniture restoration, what you know is that we all have the sense to think, well, this shouldn't take too long. <laughs> And then it does. That's the universal rule of doing anything around the house or doing anything that requires woodworking. This shouldn't take too long, and then it takes way longer than you think. Restoring a relationship is the same way. It takes longer, and it requires more patience than you think it will. And for those of us who are in a hurry and don't have time for anything that takes time, this can frustrate us into giving up on the process of restoration. But you need to know going in, 
If you're going to restore a relationship, it will take longer than you think. It'll take more patience than you think. It'll take longer than you think it should take. It will take longer than you think. The third rule of restoration is simply this, that you have to fill some cracked places. You have to fill some cracked places. For a piece of furniture that's been dinged and damaged and nicked and cracked to be restored, you can't just take away old paint and old stain and slap some new stain on and call it good. You actually have to fill in the dings and the cracks with something new and something strong. The same is true in a relationship. Things got messy in the past because of the dings and the nicks and the breaks and the cracks, and you can't just move forward with all of those still there. You have to address the mess. You have to address the fractures. You have to address what happened. You cannot just move forward without addressing what broke the relationship in the first place. You have to fill in those cracked places with something. And the fourth thing that's true about all restorations is simply this, that you have to choose something to protect the work. You have to choose something to protect the work. Once again, once the restoration is complete, you don't just stain it and let it be because wood dries out if it's left unprotected. Wood scuffs and it dings easier if it's unprotected. The same thing is true in our relationships. If there is no protective covering over the relationship, if there's no covering, all of the work in the world can be undone really, really quickly the next time something happens in the relationship. And when the thing breaks in the future, we would go, oh my goodness, all of that work was for nothing. Well, here's the thing. You can avoid all of that work being for nothing if we're willing to choose the right covering for the relationship. So here's the thing. If all of that is true about restoring furniture and restoring a relationship, if those rules are true about restoring a relationship, it shouldn't surprise us then that Jesus actually set for us the perfect example of what this looks like in relationship. Paul, in a different letter than what we've been looking at for the last two weeks, in a letter to the Philippian Christians, he actually told us that when it comes to our relationships, we're supposed to follow the example that Jesus set for us in repairing and restoring the broken relationship between humanity and our Heavenly Father. Here's what Paul wrote about Jesus' example. He said this in verse 5 of Philippians 2. He said, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You want to know what mindset Christ Jesus had? He had the the mindset that, you know what, I, I could extend forgiveness without coming close. I I could extend forgiveness and just say, hey, just make a big announcement from the heavens, show up in a cloud and say, hey, guys, forgive it. Like you, you can be forgiven, but it wouldn't restore the relationship. It it, it wouldn't make clear who God is and what God is like. It wouldn't be God in a bod walking among us, experiencing everything that our world has to offer. It wouldn't be seeing the world from humanity's perspective and walking in our shoes. Jesus made the decision that even though it would cost him everything, Jesus would come close. Jesus moved toward our mess. Jesus got some of the dirt and the mess of humanity on him in order to make the relationship right between God and man. And Paul says, in your relationships with one another, and the Greek is actually a little bit clearer and a little bit stronger here. This is the Greek meaning all of your relationships, not not some, not the ones that you care about the most, not the ones that you handpick to care about. In all of your relationships, meaning the best relationships and the most damaged relationships that we have, in all of our relationships, 
you should follow the example set for, your, set for you by your Savior, that you would be willing to move in their direction. Be willing to move first. Be willing to move before they ask you to move. Be willing to get close. Be willing to get some of the mess on you again because you can't restore a relationship if you're not willing to get close. And for Jesus, this cost him everything. Jesus actually says he did not use his status as the son of God as something to be used for his own advantage, meaning Jesus was right. Jesus was in the right, but he didn't cling to his rights. Jesus was in the right, but he didn't demand that everyone move in his direction. He moved in our direction. He didn't use his status as God, his status as right, his status as holy, his status as perfect, his status as never having made a mistake, never having sinned against another person. He didn't use any of that to his own advantage. Instead, he laid down his advantage and he moved in the direction of us. And Paul would say, if you want to follow the example that your Savior set for you, if you want to restore the damaged and broken relationships in your life, you have to follow Jesus's example. You have to be willing to lay down your rights, lay down your advantages, lay down the things that where you were right and they were wrong, and be willing to move in their direction first. Be willing to get messy again. Be willing to get close. In verse 7, if you're wondering what drove Jesus, what drove that mindset that Jesus would, would that what would cause him to move first and to move toward our mess, here's the key in the next two verses. It says, rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He, he literally laid down all of the God parts. He laid down all of, the, all of the power, all of the authority of heaven. He laid all of that down. Jesus was willing to serve. Jesus came as the God who served humanity. You want to know what separates Christianity from every other religion out there? We have a God who served us. We have a God who came as a servant, who didn't demand that we serve him, but came to set an example of service. He served us, that Jesus was willing to serve those who are on the wrong side of the relationship. That's you, and that's me, and that's all humanity. Jesus served those who had wronged him and wronged his heavenly Father, and Jesus served those who he knew would wrong him in the future. And this is a big time example to attempt to live up to, but that is our calling. Are you willing to serve to meet the needs of someone who has wronged you? Are you willing to serve someone who has offended you? Are you willing to meet the needs of someone who was wrong when you were right? Are you willing to meet their needs and move in their direction and get messy again, knowing that they might hurt you again in the future? That's what a relationship means. Are you willing to follow the example of your heavenly father who made himself nothing, who lived as if he was nothing and served others. He came as a servant. Paul says, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to serve past right and wrong. You're going to have to serve past offense. You're going to have to serve past hurt because that's what Jesus did. And he called us to follow him in it. And that's what we're called. And that's what we're commanded to follow. One last verse. One last verse. Verse eight says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled 
himself. Maybe you want to write that in the comment section right now. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. If you want to know what it means that he did not use his status as God to his own advantage and that he, that, he, that, he, that he made himself nothing, this is what it ultimately means, that he humbled himself. Jesus, who had no need to humble himself, chose it for our benefit. Jesus, who if he stood up and said, I'm perfect, bow to me, worship me, I deserve all the attention, I deserve all of the glory, move in my direction because I have all the answers, he would not have been arrogant, he would have been right, he would have been telling the truth. Jesus, who was that, chose humility for our benefit. Jesus humbled himself before God and he embraced the cross so God could extend forgiveness. Jesus humbled himself before you and embraced the cross so you could receive forgiveness. Jesus humbled himself so you and God, so me and God could be brought back together. Jesus' humility served as the bridge between mankind and God, that we can know God because Jesus chose humility on our behalf. Jesus humbled himself so you and God could be brought back together, so that what had been separated could be bridged across, so that, so that there was a way to cross back to a relationship with each other. That is the power of of humility. And that's the example that Jesus set for us, and that's the example that we're to follow in all relationships, and that's why today's bottom line is simply this. Humility is the key to restored relationships. Humility is the key to restored relationships. See, here's the thing. There's all kinds of definitions and descriptions and, 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 and out there about what humility is and what it looks like, but in the context of repairing damaged and broken relationships, here is what humility will ultimately require of you and what it will look like for you. Humility is placing the needs of my relationship above the needs of my, myself. It's placing the needs of the relationship above the needs of myself. It's saying that this matters more than my own needs. It's saying this matters more than my own wants. This matters more than my own comfort. It's, it's simply saying it's placing the importance of the relationship above everything else. It's saying, I don't need to get what I want if it means that the relationship can get what it needs. It means I choose the relationship over my comfort. It means I choose a relationship over my pride. It means I choose a, rela a restored relationship over my insecurities. It means I choose a, re a re reconciliation over my fear. It means I choose a healthy future relationship over what I, over what I feel I deserve what I deserve. That is what humility is. In the context of restoring damage and broken relationships, it's choosing the needs of the relationship over the needs of myself. And that's why humility is the key to restoring the broken and damaged relationships in your life and in my life. See, everything needed for restoration of relationship is only possible through humility. Like, Everything that you need and everything that I need for, to, to restore a relationship, it's actually only possible if we choose this type of humility. 
But, but with humility, but with humility, you can actually put into practice and practice everything that you need in order to restore any broken relationship that you have. See, if you matter more than the relationship, you can't get close and you can't get messy because what if you get hurt again? Like what, what if you get hurt again when you get closer? What if old wounds get opened? And what if you have to embarrass yourself and admit that you were wrong? Like, like what if things get really messy and every time you've been around them, it's gotten messy and that's the reason the thing is broken in the first place. Like if you matter more than the relationship, you can't get close because all of that might happen and it would inconvenience and be a problem for you. You can't do that if you matter more than the relationship. But if the relationship matters most, you can risk getting close and you can risk getting messy. Humility overcomes the fear. It overcomes the inconvenience because something matters more than you and your convenience and your fear and your pride. Something matters more. If you matter more than the relationship, you can't let the healing take, time, take more time than you think because you've got a schedule and you've got a pace that you've got to keep and you've got an agenda and you've got all of this stuff. Things have to happen at your schedule and at your pace. They have, to, they have to change at your pace. Let's be honest, they have to change at your pace. You can't take the kind of time that, that, that you need if you matter more than the relationship. If you matter more than the relationship, you can't take that kind of time. But... If the relationship matters most, if you have chosen humility, humility will lead you to an abiding patience that we can take all the time we need because the relationship matters more than my schedule. The relationship matters more than my pace. The relationship matters more than my agenda. The relationship matters so much that if it takes all the time in the world for, for change to happen and repentance to happen and forgiveness to happen and acceptance of forgiveness to happen, if it takes all the time in the world, we've got all the time in the world because the relationship matters most. See, if you matter more than the relationship, the cracks in the relationship, they, they, they need to be filled with you getting what you deserve and what you're owed. And until you get what you deserve and until you get what you're owed, the relationship can't be right. But if the relationship matters most, you can fill the cracks and the nicks and the broken places of the relationship with grace you can fill them with mercy because you don't need to get justice. You can choose mercy. And by the way, in relationship, mercy is stronger than justice all day, every day. Mercy is stronger than justice all day, every day in the context of relationships. A relationship that is built on justice will always fall apart under the weight of real life. But mercy is strong enough to stand the test of time and the test of real life. And here's the thing, one more thing. If you matter more than the relationship, you won't protect the relationship with a covering because you'll have gotten what you want in this moment. But if the relationship matters most, you will choose to cover the relationship and protect the relationship with a renewed trust, with a coating of grace, with a coating of peace, with a peace that endures because it does not come from you and your own ability, but a peace that comes through the Holy Spirit through our, for our, from, from our Heavenly Father. A peace that is not just in the relationship and about the relationship, but a peace that comes from above the relationship, that we're going to cover the relationship with peace. See, humility, humility is the key to a restored relationship. So here's the question. Are you willing to choose humility? 
in, in, in the face of those broken and damaged relationships where you know what you deserve and you know what you're owed and you know what justice would look like. But you know that to demand justice, to demand what you deserve, to demand what you're owed would be to, to refuse to follow the example of our Savior who was owed everything, who justice would require certain things, who deserved certain things, who had the perfection of heaven on his side, who had the right on his side. You know that, that to demand what you deserve and to demand justice would be to refuse to follow the example of your Savior. So are you willing to choose humility so that you can restore a relationship? So that what's been damaged, so that what's been neglected, so that what's been broken actually has a chance to be restored. Are you willing to get close and to get messy? Are, are, you, are you willing to let it take longer than you think it should take? Are you willing to be patient with them, with the relationship, with the pace of what change will look like? Are you willing to fill the gaps with grace and with mercy, to not seek what you deserve, but to seek restoration above everything else? Are you willing to protect the relationship with a covering of peace, with a covering of trust, with a covering of grace, with a covering of strength? Are you willing to take the time to cover the relationship with our Heavenly Father? See, here's the thing. You can choose all of that. I can choose all of that. Every single one of us, we can choose all of that because peace is possible for you. And as we said from the very beginning, peace is possible for you when you have done all that you can do. And every single one of us can choose humility, can choose humility about the relationship. And when we choose humility, it's possible to have peace about the relationship. It's possible to have peace in the relationship, and peace is possible for you when you have done all that you can do, and you today can choose humility in the face of every relationship. We can follow the example our Savior set for us in every relationship. It's the key to restoring the broken relationships in your life and in my life. It's how we hug a vampire. It's how we stop letting relationships suck the life out of us, and it's how we breathe new life back into the most damaged and broken relationships that we care about the most. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as, as we close today, as we close this series, God, I, I simply pray that you would have your way in our hearts, have your way in our lives, have your way in our relationships. God, for many of us, this hits right to the core of what, of what, we, of what we need today where there are relationships that have been damaged and broken and we have not known how to move forward and how to bring about peace and how to bring about, like, you know, we, we've, we've known that we, we needed to take responsibility for something. We knew that we needed to forgive if, if we had a chance. But God, if it's true that humility is the key to restoring our broken relationships, God, today, help us to have the courage to choose it. God, help us to have the courage to choose it, not just in this moment, but when we have the first conversation and we move in their direction and it may not go as well as we had hoped. God, for, help us to choose it when, when it takes longer than, than we think it should take. God, when it requires us covering and filling in the crack in the relationship with grace, God, help us to choose humility then. And God, when it, when it comes to us covering the relationship with grace and with patience and with peace and with strength from you, God, help us to choose it once again. Help us to have the courage to choose it, humility over and over and over and over and over again, God, so that you can restore the broken and damaged relationships 
in our lives. God, we love you. We trust you. Help us to follow the example that Jesus set for every single one of us about how we repair the damaged relationships in our lives. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you every single day for the rest of our lives. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.